0: Hello, my name is Nicole Jolin. The Old Testament reading is found in Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 2 and 15. Now, if you really obey the Lord your God's voice by carefully keeping all his commandments that I'm giving you right now, then the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. All these blessings will come upon you and find you if you obey the Lord your God's voice. But... If you don't obey the Lord, your God's voice, by carefully doing all his commandments and all his regulations that I'm commanding you right now, all these curses will come upon you and find you. The word of the Lord. <laughs> the New Testament reading is found in Galatians 2, 20 and 21. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in my body, I live by faith, indeed, by the faithfulness of God's Son who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't ignore the grace of God, because if we become righteousness through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. The word of the Lord. If you are able, please stand for the gospel reading found in John three sixteen through 18. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him won't perish, but have eternal life. God didn't send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him isn't judged. Whoever doesn't believe in him is already judged, because they don't believe in the name of God's only son. The gospel of the Lord. Praise be to our Lord
1: Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you today. If you're visiting, welcome. This is New Life Downtown meeting at the World Prayer Center, uh, which again is like Taco Tuesday now on Fridays. Um, and uh, we're just, I said that last week, you laughed as well. So I'm just going to keep saying it until you stop laughing. But uh, thanks for that. Thanks for sticking with us. And if you're watching online, those of you that are joining us online, welcome. Uh, New Life Downtown is one of the eight congregations of New Life Church. Uh, we do things a bit differently with our congregations, where each congregation is unique and everything is live. Sometimes we say we have live preaching, and then sometimes I think, does that mean as opposed to dead preaching or dead preaching? <laughs> you know? But uh, uh, we, 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 we don't broadcast that stuff. We, every congregation has its own preacher, its own pastor, its own worship team, and all of that. So if you're new, if you're sorting through this, if you're scrolling through Facebook and you see this uh, and you're like, I thought the pastor at New Life was that other guy, there are actually many pastors at New Life Church. So uh, we believe in the team approach here. Well, as we continue our series through Galatians, would you just bow with me, bow your heads with me in a word of prayer as we open up the word of God. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the way that you speak to us, the way that you challenge us. We ask you now for your word that you would breathe on your word with the breath of the Spirit, that it would awaken us to yourself. Thank you for the way you're already moving in the service today. Thank you for the way that in song and in prayer, we've been able to respond to you and sense you with us. Keep doing it, Lord, we pray. In the name of Jesus, everybody said, "Amen." amen. When our son Jonas was younger, when he was about four, maybe three and a half, I uh, joined a friend to start coaching a soccer team that he was doing. And he prayed, played for the uh, uh, Pride Club. And at the time, at that age, it's kind of recre- recreational soccer. And uh, as somehow things went on, this other guy dropped out and ended up me kind of leading the team. Which I, I was one of those guys that I, I um, you know that, that saying, those who can't teach, that's me with coaching, you know. Like I can't really do the things I'm telling the boys to do, but I would do it. But at four years old, um, you're not supposed to keep score. Uh, these games that they play. But the parents always knew that I was keeping score. And so they would come to me and they go, who's winning? I said, well, we are. And and we had this team that now I can see all these boys are 11, 12, and they're on these top-level competitive club teams. So we see now what they became. But on our little roster of four-year-olds, I saw that hidden talent, you know. And in the course of four years of coaching, in the course of four years of coaching them, I'm pleased to say that because I kept score for the first two years when you weren't supposed to keep score, and then the two years after that when you could keep score, uh, we won 62 out of 64 games. <laughs> lost zero, and tied two, because it's soccer, you can end in a tie. Uh, And those ties really ate at me. Now, I don't know if you relate to that, but some of you in the room, at least, a few of you have got to relate to that idea of, you got to keep score, otherwise what's the point? And sometimes people would say, no, 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 this is just for fun. And I say, yes, but you know what's really fun? Winning. Like, winning is really fun, so, so let's keep score, right? And, and, and the, the problem, though, is that we bring that kind of uh, perspective into all kinds of things in life. And so we bring it into our jobs, and we bring it into our workplace, and we bring it into our financial investments, and we have different scoreboards of winning or losing. And the complicated thing about adulting is that everybody's got different scoreboards, so you might enter one phase of life and you think, I'm crushing the game, and someone else is like, no, 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 actually this is the game, and you're losing, I'm winning. And everybody's got their own version of the game and their own version of scoreboards. Uh, in 2000, back in 2013, when I started my doctoral program in, in England, the first year was just a bunch of seminars, and you really write two papers, and, and your ability to advance into your research hinges on how you do on these two papers. And the first one, I got a grade back, and the first one is sort of, it doesn't count, it's like a trial thing, they give you a grade, but then you get to do a project like that again. And the first time I got my grade back, and I got a 72. Now, I don't want to brag, but I don't normally score in that percentile. And my mom's laughing because she knows, you know, like all through growing up, there was always this challenge. Hey, if you can do this, then you shouldn't be okay with this. Like, you know, go for it. So I was like very confused. I was like, I thought this was a pretty good paper. So I went to go talk to one of my advisors and they said, oh, no, here in the UK system, um, 72 is Really, really good. In fact, if you got higher than a 75, you should be teaching the seminar, you know? <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, okay, okay. So now I understand there's a different grading system. And isn't that what makes life so confusing? Is everybody's got different scorecards and different ways of grading. Today in our Galatians series, I'm not just going to regale you with stories. Uh, today in our Galatians series, we're talking about drawing lines and keeping score, drawing lines and keeping score. As we introduced this series, I, I told you about how Paul is writing to these churches in the region of Galatia, and a number of times, uh, or a couple of times in the last couple of weeks, people have said, can you just show us a map? So here's a map of the region, and you can see Rome and Italy. That's the headquarters way over there in the west, uh, which is, by the way, how we came to call things the west or western civilization. And then over on the eastern side there you've got Galatia and then down Antioch, Damascus. That's where Paul has his dramatic encounter with the risen Jesus and then down to Jerusalem. So you can see why the leaders in the church in Jerusalem were very concerned about what was going on up the road there in Galatia. But you can also understand why Rome way over yonder was concerned about Hey, are there these non-Jewish people claiming the Jewish exemption? And can we be okay with that? And now you can understand just from the geography of this, the, the situation that's going on. And so one of the major themes that we said in week one through this letter of Galatians is how Gentile Christians belong. How do they belong in society, the Roman Empire? How do they belong in the church? And how do they belong to God? And so today, we're, if you pick up the, the tail end of Galatians 1, 17 through 24, we're not going to read it, but Paul starts to give his own testimony of how he, a Pharisee of Pharisees, began to recognize that Jesus was the fulfillment of the thing that he had been hoping for. And he talks about how he began to, to preach and started to gain a bit of a reputation. And then you pick, we pick up the story in Galatians 2, and I'm, I may not read all of this because there's a lot of uh, narrative here that we can summarize for time's sake. But he says, after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem again with Barnabas, and I took Titus along also. Now, Titus is a Greek chap, and you'll recall that this, the big crux of the issue here is about Circumcision. I went there because of a revelation and I laid out the gospel that I preached to the Gentiles for them, but I did it privately with the influential leaders to make sure that I wouldn't be working or hadn't worked for nothing. However, not even Titus, who was with me and who was a Greek, was required to be circumcised. In other words, so far so good. Paul says, my understanding of how revolutionary Jesus as Messiah is was accepted. People are like, great, you don't. your Greek friend doesn't need to become Jewish in order to become Christian to put it in terms that we might use today. And Paul's like, great, it was fine. But then he says, verse four, but false brothers and sisters who were brought in secretly slipped in to spy on our freedom. Dun, dun, dun. This is a section of the scripture that you might call the conspiracy part. There's confirmation from these leaders, then there's a conspiracy, and then there's a controversy that develops. And I'll skip down ahead, and he says, he says, look, they they tried to, Uh, to to spy on us. I wouldn't submit to them for a single moment because I didn't want the truth of the gospel uh, to be compromised. But then he says, but the leaders kind of doubled down. They said, no, 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 it's fine. Just make sure that that you, you, you go ahead and keep supporting the poor, the very thing that Paul was keen to do. And then jump down to verse 11. So far, things seem to be going okay. He's had two moments of confirmation despite this little conspiracy. But then, verse 11, it says, when Cephas, which is uh, the other name for Peter. He's talking about Peter, the apostle. But when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was wrong. Okay, Paul. Okay. He had been eating with the Gentiles before certain people came from James. Now, James is the leader down in the church in Jerusalem. And Peter was eating with Gentiles when he was hanging out with Paul. But then, he says, when certain people came up from James, when they came, he began to back out and separate himself because he was afraid of the people who promoted circumcision. This reminds me of my kids when they're supposed to eat gluten-free, but they show up at a friend's birthday party. And there's all this cake there, and they're like, oh, no, I'm not gluten-free. And they start, no, no, I'm fine. And then me or Holly shows up, and they're like, "Uh uh-oh, no, I I don't touch the stuff. I mean that's I mean Paul's like what's going on? Like like Peter you were just fi- you were eating with now you're gluten free, I see. Okay. Verse 13. And the rest of the Jews also joined him in this hypocrisy so that even Barnabas got carried away with them in their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they weren't acting consistently with the gospel, with the truth of the good news, I said to Cephas in front of everyone, If you, though you're a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you require Gentiles to live like Jews? In other words, if you yourself are not living by this code, why are you expecting them to live by this code? Now, I want to pause and clear up some misconceptions. Some of you, even if you're vaguely familiar with the Bible or the Old Testament, your impression is that the Old Testament was a bunch of fussy rules and God was a legalist, but then he softened in his old age and said, okay, fine. And he's like a grandpa that says, okay, fine, everybody just come. But that is a misreading of Scripture. And it, it prevents us from actually treating the Old Testament like Scripture. In fact, if you read the Bible like that, you will just see the Old Testament as the foil to Jesus as the hero, instead of Jesus as the surprising fulfillment of where the story was going all along. So when we read about things like eating codes and, and circumcision, it's tempting as American Christians to be like, oh my gosh, just such fussy legalists. That's not the story. Remember that for in the Old Testament it says of the law of the Lord, I love your law. I love these things. They weren't keeping codes because they were obligated to and it was some sort of legalistic duty. They loved the law. They loved the Lord who gave them this law. So we must be careful that we don't read into Paul's words a kind of disparaging view of Judaism or Jewish faith and to say, oh my gosh, thank goodness we're not there. And I say this because the beginning of anti-Semitism in Western societies came from a misreading of Jewish faith. It came from a misreading of Jewish faith. And and so European Christians began to say, oh, these random rules and these fussy legalists, we don't need any of that. In fact, let's make sure they don't have influence in society, and you see how that goes. That is not what Paul is saying. So we've got to cut that off. So then you're like, well, what... What is this about? What, what, why, why are we talking about this? The backdrop for this requires just a tiny bit of history. Israel was always chosen by grace, and you, you have to keep this in mind. When God called Abraham, the question is, why? What did Abraham do to deserve that calling? It's an election, to put it in Christian terms, an election by grace. God chooses Abraham, calls him out of his father's house, and then... Because they're the, the, the seed of Abraham, he rescues them from Egypt. If you were to ask someone this, and you said, why did God save Israel out of Egypt? Was it because they were so good at keeping the law? You'd say, no, there was no law yet. Why did God save Israel out of Egypt? Because they were, he, he made a covenant to their ancestor Abraham. Well, why did he make a covenant with Abraham? He just did. They're, that sounds like grace. Ding, ding, ding. Now you're seeing the Bible as the same story. Right. And then, after having made a covenant with them, having saved them, he then gives them a law. So what's the law about? The law is about confirming your covenant status. The law is about confirming your covenant status. It's about saying, yes, I am a child of God. I am part of this this covenant people, and therefore I will live in a way that is consistent with the character of God and our calling as his people. A couple years ago, Jason and I did a series on the Ten Commandments trying to say this over and over again. The commandments reveal the character of God and the calling of his people. They are not random rules. You're like, okay, but what goes wrong? Well, what starts to happen is after Israel starts to worship other gods, they get, they get torn into as a nation, and then they go into exile. The, the, the northern kingdom gets scattered by Syria. The southern kingdom, Judah, gets taken to Babylon. This is more history than you bargained for on a Sunday morning. <laughs> but in exile, you couldn't do all your normal acts of worship, your, your signs of fidelity, your signs of faithfulness, Many of them you couldn't actually do in Babylon. But there were a few things you could do and that you fought to do. Keep the Sabbath, eat the Jewish way, eat clean, and circumcise your boys, your sons. Those were three of, maybe a few other things as well, a few ways of saying we are still God's covenant people and even if we're in Babylon and even if we don't have a temple and even if we can't do this and this and this, this, we will still live this way to confirm our covenant status. Does that make sense? And so by the time you get to Paul's day, the expression of faithfulness is circumcision, clean eating, Sabbath keeping. But what begins to happen is... It's also a way of drawing lines and keeping score. Circumcision and clean eating became ways of drawing lines and keeping score, ways of saying, "We are the covenant people, and you are not. And we have to make sure that we are extra faithful. It's the issue sometimes you'll, you'll say, "Well well, I mean, wasn't the problem that Israel just broke a bunch of laws and then God had to send Jesus to keep all the laws?" Nope. There's provisions in the Old Testament for law-breaking. The real crisis at the end of the Old Testament is not that Israel broke laws. The real crisis at the end of the Old Testament is Israel could not be faithful to the covenant. Lawbreaking, covenant faithfulness. Mm -hmm. Lawbreaking had sacrifices. You could offer sacrifices when you broke laws. But what happens when you've broken covenant? What happens when you've broken covenant? Look, there's there's a marriage illustration of this, Right? Spouses are going to hurt one another, but you can repent. But there are some acts that a husband or a wife do that actually violates the covenant. Now what? And that's the idea. That's why Hosea and the prophets, we did a series on the prophets last year, That's why the, earlier this year, that's why the prophets, they're not, they're not blasting the people of God for breaking laws. They're blasting the people of God for breaking covenant. Does that make sense? We're going to come back to that in a moment. Anytime you have boundary lines and scoreboards, you will also have referees. (laughs) Anytime you have boundary lines and scoreboards, you're also going to have referees. And so these troublemakers that come up from Jerusalem to Galatia, what they're doing is they're saying, hey, 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 foul, penalty. You can't have these Greeks doing this. You can't have these Gentiles doing this because they have a game in mind. And every game has boundary lines and scoreboards. And anytime you have boundary lines and scoreboards, you're going to have referees. Now, how do we do the same thing? Before we say, oh man, those troublemakers, how do we do the same thing today? Do we have ways of drawing lines that have nothing to do with Jesus? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Vaccinated, unvaccinated. Rich versus poor. I talked to a woman last week who works with people who are in correctional facilities and our broadcasts from Sunday mornings at North go in on KRDO to the correctional facility. Every week we get letters from men and women in those facilities. How do we keep score? But, well, that person has a record. I have no record. I've been a great citizen. How do we draw lines? How do we keep score? I think there's Christian ways of seeing Who's more Christian? Well, our liturgy is better than your liturgy. Well, our liturgy is older than your liturgy. (laughs) Well, we have more, we're more spirit-filled. That church is dead, but our church is spirit-filled. Married versus single. Well, you know, he's 30 and he's still not married, so... I'm just going to name it, y'all. Because there's all, way, all kinds of ways that we keep score. And we're like, now that person is crushing it at life. Really? Whose scoreboard is that? Is that yours? Is that the American dream? Is that anything to do with Jesus? And we got all these ways of drawing lines and keeping score. But then Paul says this in verse 16, However, We know that a person isn't made righteous by the works of the law, but rather through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. We ourselves believed in Christ Jesus, or to put it in the way that it would have been heard, the Messiah Jesus, so that we could be made righteous by the faithfulness of the Messiah and not by the works of the law, because no one will be made righteous by the works of the law. What's Paul saying? He's saying, look, Fidelity to the covenant is demonstrated by keeping the law. It is connected, but it's not the same. And he's trying to force them into honesty here and to say, look, what ultimately brought the Messiah? Was it your faithfulness? And in the first century, it would have been hard to argue that it was their faithfulness. Because you had Herod, who's a king, who was just a rascal. Like, I don't know, he says he's king of the Jews. I don't think he is. You had Pharisees that were more faithful. You had Essenes who were faithful in their own way. But the fact is they're living under Roman oppression, which is like exile. So for many Jews in the first century, they would have said, look, if we really were faithful, wouldn't exile be over? Wouldn't, Wouldn't we not be living under oppression? So look around. Clearly we are not doing well in this game. And what Paul doesn't say, is, and this is, this is important to us, guys, what, what Paul doesn't say is, well, uh, God decided new game. What Paul is saying is Jesus changed the game. And, and, and this is why it's so important why is it such a big deal when people say, "Well, how, why do we have European Jesus on the walls, or couldn't we just have Indian Jesus or Chinese Jesus?" or couldn't we?" No, it, It's important that Jesus was a Jew because he took the Israel story to its culmination. And that's important. It's important because if you say something other than that, if you're like, well, and I've heard evangelical leaders be like, it doesn't matter what race Jesus was. It absolutely matters. Because if you say it doesn't matter, what you're saying is, God made a promise, that didn't work out, God changed his mind, decided to do plan B. That's not what Paul says. Paul says God did not abandon his promise to Abraham, God did not forget that he made a covenant with Israel that through an Israelite or through Israel, all nations would be blessed. And you're like, but, but, but Paul, how is God going to use Israel to bless all nations when Israel himself was unfaithful? He says, oh, it's by a representative Israelite, and that's what Messiah means. Messiah may not mean anything to us. Again, we hear Jesus Christ, you're like, is that Jesus' last name? Like his parents were Joseph Christ and Mary Christ? Like, no. It's Jesus the Messiah, the anointed one. And what that means is Jesus the representative one, Jesus who summed up the story of Israel in himself and says, I will do what you could not, and I will be faithful on your behalf. And by being faithful on your behalf, I'll bring the story to its desired culmination. I'll open up the gates. For everyone to come. For everyone to come. That's the, way, that's the way Paul preached the gospel. That's the way Paul told the story of Jesus Christ. So this is why he says it's the faithfulness of the Messiah. The faithfulness of Jesus Christ changed the game. It changed the game. It literally changed the game because now it says well well it, it, it's not really about how well you're doing drawing lines. It's not actually about the lines that you draw. And it's not about how well you're keeping score. But the faithfulness of Jesus Christ changed the game. And then he says verse 17 through 19, but if it is discovered that we ourselves are sinners while we are trying to be made righteous in Christ, then is Christ a servant of sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild the very things I tore down, I should show myself to be breaking the law. But I died to the law, through the law, so that I could live for God. Now, you're like, this is so confusing. But think of it this way. Last night, I went to a TCA soccer game to cheer on one of our friend's uh, uh, kids who was playing. It was a soccer game, but it was played on a football field. And because it was played on the football field, they had to draw different lines on the same field. So you had the white lines that was the football field, and then you had the yellow lines that was the soccer field. And if you didn't know the game of soccer, and you just thought, you'd be like, this is so confusing. Because not only is is soccer actually using your feet, unlike football, which uses your hands. (laughs) I I don't know. I don't know. That's confusing already. (laughs) There's several things about soccer that's different. For example, in football, the ball carrier has to cross a line with the ball. But in soccer, you could, pass, you could kick the ball past the line and then score. Like, I could be 20 yards away and that's a goal. You, you can't do that in football. So if you're, you're like, this is confusing. And even out-of-bounds lines. Like, in football, you can't be out-of-bounds and catch a football. You'd be like, oh, no two feet in, right? In soccer, the player could be way outside as long as the ball is rolling on the line and you could kick it back in. You're like, what? How does that even work? And what Paul is saying is, By playing one game, you called penalties on me on your game. Does that make sense? By playing the Jesus game, you called penalties on me on the old game. But I ain't playing that old game. Jesus changed the game. And he drew some different lines. That's what he's saying. He's like, look, if, if the law is going to show me to be a law, it's fine. But this is why, this is why what we said last week about the alternate Gospels being such a big deal, is it doesn't just impact the vertical, it impacts the horizontal. Because if we're still playing by an old game, or a different game, or, pre, or we haven't realized how the game has changed, then we'll start excluding people and say, no, 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 you, uh, ha- have you been good? I don't think you've been good enough. You can't come in. Okay, well, what, what was your... Oh, you... Okay, you're, you're, come on, you, you belong with us. You're one of us. But when you get that the gospel changes the spiritual and the social, the vertical and the horizontal, all of a sudden you realize, wait a minute, something has changed about these lines and the score. And this is what Paul says. Verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me in the life that I now live in my body. I live by faith. But not just my faith, but the faithfulness of God's Son who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't ignore the grace of God. Because if we become righteous through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Here's the bottom line. The love of Jesus redraws the lines and removes our scoreboards. The love of Jesus redraws the lines and removes our scoreboards. And that means some radical rethinking. It did for the people in Paul's day, and it still kind of does for us. And so as we get ready to close this morning, I want you to reflect on a couple of questions. For one, some of us are drawing lines that have nothing to do with Jesus. I've talked to a lot of people who are in the last year and a half, they're like, yep, I just I broke off a relationship with that person. I cut. And, and sometimes that's healthy. There's a real thing about boundaries and toxic friendships, all That's That's real. But there's a, there's a difference between saying I don't need that influence in my life versus saying they don't belong in the people of God. And if you look at social media, there's a lot of stuff that people start saying where they're like, I'm sorry, if you don't, dot, 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 then you aren't a true Christian. I've, I've seen lots of that. If you don't wear a mask, you're not actually a Christian. Whoa, whoa, what? If you don't, if you didn't vote for, then... You're not a real Christ follower. Excuse me, how are we still drawing lines that have nothing to do with Jesus? I want New Life Downtown. We want New Life Church to be a church that doesn't use human-drawn lines, where we say, no, 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 this is my circle, and I just love my church. And sometimes when people say, I just love my church, what they mean is, they're just like me. Can I tell you that if you think that New Life Downtown is full of people just like you, we have a problem. Because I hope that people will come to New Life Downtown and be like, there's, there's some interesting people here. And I don't know, frankly, I don't know how all these people ended up at the same church. I'll tell you how, Jesus. That ought to be the only answer. Some of us are still drawing lines that had nothing to do with Jesus. You thought the gospel was a friends and family deal. You know, like you get those coupons in the mail, now at Kohl's, friends and family coupon only. Just, gospel's not. Paul's saying this is not a friends and family deal. This is an all nations deal. Yeah, that's this is an all peoples deal. And some of us are still keeping score and ignoring the grace of God. And this one is personal. If the if the first one, if drawing lines is about the communal aspect of it, keeping score is the personal aspect of it. Paul says, "I will not ignore the grace of God." I just feel that for some of you in, this, in the church, you're, the voice in your head that is condemning you is a voice that is ignoring the grace of God. And there's a voice that is always keeping score. Well, you know, you shouldn't have snapped like that. Well, you know, you shouldn't have done this thing. Well, you know, 10 years ago. And our culture, look, <laughs> you want to tell me our culture doesn't believe in a law? We're digging up stuff from like 15 years ago about people and say, oh, I found this one clip. They can't do this. They can't do that, right? And we're keeping score in our own heads about ourselves. Well, you know, I haven't been perfect. I haven't done this. Sometimes people have said to Jason and I and to our team, you know, I would really like to be a marriage mentor, but you know, our marriage is not perfect. (gasps) Oh, well, you better stop coming to church. Forget being a mentor. Like, just don't take communion. Some some of us are still keeping score and ignoring the grace of God. Aaron, you can come in the team. And people will ask different things like, Glenn, will you allow these kind of people to worship? Well, Glenn, will you allow these people to come? I'm like, man, I don't have a sin scanner at the door. <laughs> like our, our TSA sin scanner is broken. I don't know. I don't know what you did. (laughs) But I do know. I do know that the grace of God can reset the scoreboard. Paul says, I stopped keeping score, but you know what I I realized? I looked up at the cross and I recognized the Son of God who loved loved me and gave himself for me. That's the score. You're like, what's the score? Who's winning? The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. That's why I put the gospel reading this morning is for God so loved the world. Some of you, you, you've heard that twisted. You're like, well, God so loved the world and he gave his son, but Jesus was begrudging. Paul says, put that together with the son of God loved me and gave himself for me. Father, son, and Holy Spirit loved you so much that Jesus the Messiah came to reset the score. If there's a voice in your head condemning you, and oftentimes we're drawing lines with other people because we're projecting our own guilt and shame. Oftentimes we're like, well, I'm guilty, but they're guiltier, so keep them out. And then I'll feel better about my not-so-bad sin. And Paul says, don't ignore the grace of God. Where's the score? Where's the scoreboard? There it is. It's the cross. The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. We come to the table every week to remind ourselves of that. All week long you've had a voice eating away at you, condemning you. Oh, I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have done that. Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's the score. And the only line that is ever drawn is the line that has to do with, where are you with Jesus? You ready to say yes to Jesus? Maybe you're watching today, you're listening today, and you're like, I've never said yes to Jesus, never put my faith in Jesus. Maybe today's that moment. To say, I don't want to draw lines that have nothing to do with Jesus. But actually, I want to put my own faith in Jesus. I want to put my own trust in Jesus. I need his love and his death and his blood to be the only score we remember. Let's bow our heads.